Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. I trust that you were able to read Romans. We're going to start at, ve- at verse 31 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 8, 31, 8, 31. It says this, just shortly it says this, in view of all of this, what can we say? In view of all of this, what can we say? If God be for us, who can be against us? I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Turn to the person on your left, turn to the person on your right and say that. But it's really interesting how Paul said here, he said, in view of all that, in view of all that. Well, in view of all what? In view of all what? In view of everything that you have read prior to verse 31 in Romans 8. He said, in view of this chapter, in view of this chapter and everything you've just seen, know that God's for you. And when he's for you, nothing can be against you. What is stopping us? So we start at the top and it says, in view of this. I want to just highlight some things. In view of this, that right now there's no condemnation. If you came to church today and you feel condemned or judged by people, or you feel judged by yourself, let me start by saying, in view of all this, there's no condemnation to you who are, everybody say, in Christ. So in view of all that, in view of this, that because you belong to him, that the life-giving, you believe this, that the life-giving flow of the Holy Spirit has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. How many remember a couple weeks we said that we were crucified with Christ? 2,000 years ago, we were crucified with Christ to Adam and the sinful nature of Adam. We died with Christ, but the scripture says that as we died with Christ, in view of this, know that we've risen with him and we can lead a life that's freed from sin. So in view of this, and then he says the law of Moses. The law of Moses was unable to save us. If the, if the first covenant was good enough, then why was there a second one? The reason is because of the weak weakness of our flesh. How many know that none of us can keep the laws of God? Well, in take view of this, the scripture says, in view of this, Jesus came in a body in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he fulfilled the righteous requirements of God in view of all that, and in view that he fulfilled the righteous requirements of God, in view that he satisfied the wrath and judgment and punishment for sin, How many know that that makes it, if God's for us, who can be against us? In view of those things, in view that my sin, in view that Jesus became my sin offering, in view that his blood forgives me and puts me in right standing with God and and, and purges my conscience from sin, in view of that, in view of that Christ came with the Holy Spirit and, and now the Spirit's starting to work to my mind and my mind's being renewed. And, and in Romans here, it, it says that I was dominated by the sinful, sinful nature, but now I start because I, all I thought about was sinful things because I was controlled uh, by sinful thoughts, but now I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit. I'm controlled by His nature. That in view that he has put his nature in view, inside of us, I think that means that God is for us who can stand against us. 
So we see the, the excitingness of that in view of all this, in view of all this, that we don't have to be controlled by the sinful nature anymore in verse 9 because the Spirit of God is living in you. Everybody say the Spirit is living in us. In view of that, in view of that, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. In view of this, down here at verse 12, it says that you have no obligation to the sinful nature. Have you ever felt a slave to sinful nature? Have you ever felt a slave to an addiction or, a, or something you go to for comfort? Have you ever just felt a slave to fear? A slave to anxiety? A slave to uh, depression or whatever it is? But the scripture says here that uh, because in view of everything that Christ has done for us, we have no obligation to the sinful nature. We don't have to be a slave anymore. For, it, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if you, through the power of the Spirit, we can put, de- put to death the sinful nature, we will live. For all who are of the Spirit of God, all who are of the Spirit of God, are led. All who are this, of the Spirit of God are the children of God. So down there, I mean, it's all through there. And then it gets in how, how God has put his spirit into our heart, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And then it talks about how nothing can separate us. But, but I kept seeing as I was reading that, because I, I was reading and I kept seeing, in view of all this, what do we say? In view of all this, I'll tell you what I say. I believe God has set us up for some victory. I believe God has set it up where we can overcome in marriage, we can overcome in business, we can overcome with personal challenges, we can overcome with famine, we can overcome with depression, we can overcome with trials, challenges, situation, in view of everything we just read in Romans chapter 8, if God's for me, who can be against me? That's what I feel today. That's strong and, and, and needless to say. Holy smoke. Needless to say, He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit could only be at one place at one time in the Old Testament. He came on kings and priests and prophets. But the Bible says, always think of this. Always, this is something you always need to know. Because of the blood of Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. Because of the cross of Jesus, we now are dead to our sin nature and we're alive to his new nature. And then because Jesus raised from the dead, we rise up in newness of life. Amen? And then it's because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, what does Ephesians say? We are made, everybody say we're made, to set with him in heavenly places. We've been given authority. And get this. The promise of the Holy Spirit coming to the earth that Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2. The promise of the Holy Spirit coming to the earth. It could not happen until Jesus was glorified. The Holy Spirit, that's why Jesus said in John chapter 14 that that the Spirit is now with you. Meaning Jesus was with them. But he said later the Spirit will be in you. In Luke chapter two, 24, verse 49, it said, Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? The promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That is not just for kings, priests, and prophets, but it's for everyone. Are you all with me? 
That's why when the Holy Spirit fell in the book of Acts for the first time in Acts chapter 2, it says that tongues of fire came and set upon each of them. To where everybody's like, hey, there's a tongue of fire overhead. There's a tongue of fire overhead. It's set upon each of them. It said that your sons, your daughters, it says everybody, all those that are far from the Lord, that the Holy Spirit has been given to all of us. Somebody say all of us. All of us. You have the Spirit of the living God living inside of you. And in view of all that, if God be for us, who can be against us? He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness and, 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 and everything. But, but the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm going to pray to the Father. In John 14, 16, it says, He shall give you another comforter, another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into, into truth. I don't know about you, but growing up, growing up, we had things that were to look at, but not to use. How many know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. We had the silverware that came from great, 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 grandma. The silverware that came over with Noah in the ark. And we open it up at Christmas. And then we bring out the plates that you never get to eat off of. They just sat in the thing. And we got that. How many even today, how many even today have the towels in the bathroom? Come on, how many of you wives put the towels in the bathroom? They are meant for looks, baby. Don't you dare touch them things. Man, I go over to people's house and I use their washroom and I, I know don't touch that towel. That's for looks and they forgot to put the one you're supposed to use up. And so you're like going like this. I mean, that's... You, you don't do that. Oh, I remember growing up on a farm, you take about three showers a day because you get so dirty. And I remember my, we could never keep up with towels. And I'd get out of the shower, and I'd be like, oh, crud. No towels. How many's done that? You get out of the shower, and you're like, oh, geez, no towels. So you're, you're shivering to death. And you open up the door and you're like, hey mom, can you bring me a towel? Can you bring me a towel? And then you're sitting there dripping. Hey mom, can you, what, what, I'm running the sweeper. Hey mom, can you bring me the, and then you see the towels. Ooh baby, oh they're so plush. Never used. I'm talking, they're the long ones. They're the ones that cover you completely when you put them around you. And you're like, oh, and, 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 then, and then you use it, and then you put it back up, and you hear mom, Brian, did you use that towel? You better not ever. I'm going to tan your hide, young man. I'll tell you what, a 50-year-old man, I still tremble when I hear mama saying that. But also, there was the comforter. Ooh, the comforters. How many know about the comforters? The thick blankets that you do not touch. But, oh, they would feel so good to coil up in and take a nap on the bed. Jesus said that he was going to send a comforter. And, you know, a lot of times we do the comforters like the towels and the silverware. We say it's for looks and not use. God wants us to use the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He wants us to be cognizant of the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to think about. So somebody said, said uh, like, like I kept hearing the Lord say, uh, Brian, tell the people to be filled with the Spirit and to go in the overflow. And I was like, well, how do you get in the overflow? And, and it's just abiding with Him. Abiding with Him constantly. Staying with Him. Being cognizant of His awareness. But growing up, we had those things. But he is here, the Holy Spirit. If you go down to Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, uh, for an example, it says, the Holy Spirit is here, and we need to start learning to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You've got to learn that. It's a practice. You have to practice learning to live under the influence of the Spirit. And then he gives some examples. This is just an example in Romans 8, 26. He says, for example... When you don't know what God wants you to pray for, um, the Holy Spirit prays with us. And look at this. It says with what? Say that out loud. With groanings. Are you talking about, oh, a groan? Oh. With groanings. With groanings. With groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows our hearts, look at this. I want you to see this. Knows what the Spirit is saying. I noticed with the kids growing up that uh, if, if, if Caitlin was around Luke down here, look at my baby boy. Stand up, baby boy. Look how big my baby boy, oh, baby. Come on, Papa. Ah, baby boy. Okay. I remember, you can sit down now, son. Beautiful girl, single and available. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, my son here, he... he he would like just groan and make all these noises. And when he was, huh? Oh, yeah, Carmen said when he was a baby. Make sure they understand that. When he was a baby, okay. And, and Caitlin would be sitting there and she'd say, he wants some corn. And I, how'd she know that? And then you'd give him corn and he'd start, stop crying. And then uh, Logan would be like, and throw it. And Caitlin would be like, give him mashed potatoes. I mean, how did she know? How did she know? I'm telling you, sometimes there's a prayer that's deep in your spirit that you may not have words and it may be a groan, but your Father, which is in heaven, He knows. He knows. There's power in a groan. When you don't know how to say the, the spirit grow, he knows. There's, you, you think, man, he's preaching on the groan today. You know what? I've never preached on the groan before, but this just kept hitting me. You know, Jesus in, Luke, in John chapter um, 11, verse 33, um, Lazarus had died. How many know that story? Lazarus had died. And Jesus was kind of late getting there. And uh, as he went up there, he, he, he went up there and they met him and Mary and all of them, they were crying. He's like, oh, Jesus, you're too late. Lazarus is dead. And Jesus was like, no, he's not dead. He's just sleeping. Oh, Lord, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't happen and all this stuff. But the Bible says that, 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 again, they said, Lazarus is dead. The Bible says that Jesus groaned deeply in his spirit. Mm. He groaned. He groaned. I looked that up in the Greek this week. You know what that means? It means to, sto- to snort, to springing out of displeasure. It's anger, it's indignation, it expresses indignant displeasure with somebody or something, and you're getting ready to charge them sternly. And then it says, it says that groan, he groaned, mm, 
And then it's the shortest uh, verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus what? Jesus wept. And they said, oh, it's because he loved Lazarus so much. And then the Bible says he groaned again. I looked that groan up. Guess what it means? It means to weep with deep pain of, oh, how he loved him. So sometimes, man, that that first one was "Mm," that deep groan. Where you just groan in the spirit. Have you ever went through a painful situation? That first groan was against the devil. What are you doing taking my Lazarus? Putting sickness on him that he's dead. So that first one's like, and anger and indignation. And then the next one was, oh, I loved him so much. And then he said, move the stone. And then when the stone was moved with great sternness and confidence and authority in the spirit, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he called death to life. And Lazarus came out of the grave. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, have you ever been so in pain and so hurt or so angry that all you had was a groan? I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit does that in you, and God knows and understands the groan. Somebody give him praise today. There's a groan. The Holy Spirit, he's here to help us. He wants us to use him. He wants us to learn to live under his influence. He wants us to, 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 to acknowledge and to, to recognize his influence so badly. I, I wake up sometimes, I say, I always wake up and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Always first words out of my mouth. And then the next thing I say is, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Holy Spirit. What do you want to do today? What do you say we grab some coffee? What do you say we go out and begin to talk and share? That's how I start my days. But the Holy Spirit is here to do so much. In John chapter 18, it says he's here to witness and to convince us of truths and to remind us of things. In John 16, 18, it says when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will convict the world of sin. Notice it says the world of sin. He will convict the world of sin. Brothers and sisters, today after service, I feel real strong. Keep, Keep a track where your cards are. Today at the end of service, I feel this strong. That God's going to lay people on your mind because there's a word in the spirit today that sheep are scattered and God's calling them into the fold. And if you've got friends and family that you want saved, we're going to write their names down and, and on a piece of paper and keep getting cards because we're believing that people are coming alive this Easter. Amen? People are coming alive this Easter. So, but, but even with the Holy Spirit, don't, don't, don't try to witness and don't try to do things without involving the Holy Spirit. Like, like when I preach, I, I know the Holy Spirit has to speak in hearts and just take what he puts out of my mouth and believe that he's doing something in the heart. Write down 2 Corinthians 4 to use this this week while you're praying for people. Don't, don't hand these cards out without praying and inviting the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can come in and take the blinds off eyes, open deaf ears, and open hard hearts. Because they're blinded by the God of this world. So before you witness, you've got to involve the Holy Spirit. And he's here, that, he's here that he will convince people they need Jesus. How many remember when the Holy Spirit was saying, you need Jesus? 
How many remember that time? So, so that's what he does to the unbeliever. But to the believer, he convinces them of righteousness and judgment. I grew up in the South where they was like, Ooh, the Holy Ghost. Ooh, the Holy Ghost. Ooh, he's here to convict you of sin. And after you're convicted of sin, he's going to show you just how unrighteous you are. And because of your unrighteousness, know that God, he's going to get you. So I was like, I, I mean, I had one guy say, you better not be caught in sin when Jesus splits the eastern sky. Are you serious? I can, nobody's living can live like that. What that means is he convicts the world of sin and he convicts the, the, the believer of righteousness. It says, because I go and I sit on the right hand of the Father. In other words, he, convicts, he convinces you that he took your sin and gave you his righteousness. And then he, con- he convicts you and he says of judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. Nowhere does it say that the human being's being judged. It says the prince of this world who is your enemy of your soul. He has been found wanting. He has been found lacking. He has been found judged. And you are an overcomer over him. That's what the Holy Spirit's there to tell you. That's what the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's here to remind you of that. The Holy Spirit's here in Romans 5, 5 to tell you you always have hope because God's love is poured in your heart by the Holy Spirit. What in the world does that mean? It means when you feel hopeless, when you've lost hope, when you feel like you frustrate God. You know, most of the time, especially since I understand grace now, now that God's given me a revelation of grace, I don't use Grace is like, I, because, like, when I fail, it's hard for me to go ask for forgiveness. Not because I don't want forgiveness, it's just, doggone it, I don't want to let the Lord down. I, I know he died for that. He died for my sin. And I'm like, ugh, Lord, I'm so sorry. That's why grace, when you really get a revelation of grace, it'll make you where you're motivated. You don't want to let the Lord down. You see how much he loved you and how much you did, he did for you. That you don't want to do anything against him. Your heart changes. But the Holy Spirit is poured out and he's always saying, God loves you. God loves you. If you're here today and you feel like you are not loved, that you are frustrating, you've been told you're frustrating, you've been told you're this, that, and that, I'm telling you, the love of God right now while I'm preaching is being poured out in your heart, and he's saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. He's saying that. He's the greatest teacher in the world. Hebrews 10, 15 says there's two things. The Holy Spirit is here to witness I love the word witness in Hebrews 10, 15, 15, it actually uses the word witness. The Holy Spirit gives us this witness. First, he says, I'm going to put my law in your heart and your mind. I'm going to put my law in your heart and your mind. And then the other thing he says is he's also down a little bit further in 17. It says, I'm also here to tell you that I will remember your sins and your evil deeds. I'm not going to remember them anymore. I want you to keep in mind how he puts the law into. So the Holy Spirit's here saying, 
You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Do you know what? Most of the time, God's satisfied with, with you. Most of the time, is you're not satisfied with yourself. And you feel like that you need to be punished. But you've got to quit punishing yourself. Pick yourself up and move on because Jesus was punished. The Bible says he was wounded for my transgressions. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement or the punishment for my sin was upon his back. And by his stripes, I am healed. The punishment, the justice of God has been satisfied. So you need to, not, you need to stop punishing yourself. And the Holy Spirit's saying that. He's saying it. He's saying, quit punishing yourself. Quit punishing yourself. Quit paying. The Bible even says uh, in, in John, 1 John 3, it says a man condemns himself in his own heart. But God's greater than even your own heart. And he's saying, stop that. God knew you, yet he still loved you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he's saying, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. I write my word in your heart and mine. I love John 16, 13 through 15. It says, when the Spirit comes, he'll reveal truth to you. He's an amazing teacher about God. He'll lead you and teach you stuff. He'll not speak on his own authority, but what he does, what he hears in heaven, he'll come and tell you. And then verse 14 says, uh, he will give me glory because he will take what I say. Jesus said, so you see it the second time, he'll take what I say and come and tell you. Everybody say, tell you. And then verse 15, all my father has is mine. And this is why I said that the spirit will take what I give him and do what? Tell you, declare you, declare it. He tells you stuff. You know, I bought a like a eighteen hundred dollar program to study with, but my preferred study is still the school of the Holy Ghost. And setting down and asking him to teach me, because he will. The Holy Spirit fills you. He will be with you and he will be in you. He will be with you and he will be in you. Remember, God's Spirit is in you. Remember that all the fruit of God's Spirit is at your possession. It's inside of you. When you need joy, there's joy inside of you. When you need self-control, the Spirit is self-control. And the Spirit is what? In you. Say it. The Spirit is in me. Do you have self-control all the time? But do you possess self-control? How do you possess self-control? Because the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. So if you will yield your mind when you're wanting to get aggravated with your wife or your children, where you want to throw, lash out in anger, that's, that's what it's talking about, yielding to the Spirit and submitting to the Spirit. Submitting to walk in the Spirit so we don't go ahead and just keep fulfilling the lust of our flesh. Is the Holy Spirit a spirit of, of um, a, a, a holy spirit? A holy spirit? He ho- he's holy? There's purity. There's holiness. There's joy. People that are depressed and have anxiousness, joy is inside of you. 
There's joy inside of us. The Spirit is in us. And even peace. I really think, I hope, I, I hope you can make this connection like I did this week. Because I was never able to connect this. But think about this. The Holy Spirit writes His Word on your heart and on your mind, right? Do you believe the Scripture? It's, it's several times in Scripture. He writes the Word on your heart and mind. Okay, now I'm telling you that the fruit of the Spirit is in your heart. All, love, joy, peace, patience. Peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. Think about this. Peace is in your heart. Come on. Peace is in your heart. And peace, when you read the Word, and the, the Bible says, uh, receive the engrafted Word of God in James 1.21, which is able to save your souls. Romans chapter 12 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what happens is you get to a place where you say, God's word is in my heart. And listen to this, it's even in your mind. It's just a matter of recognizing and being sensitive to the influence and yielding. Are you, listen to me. Yielding to that. And knowing you have the power to be able to do that because the Spirit's in you. So, if the Word is written on my heart and written in my mind, isn't this Scripture interesting? Listen to this Scripture in Philippians 4, 6-7. through 7. I didn't give you guys this one in NLT. It says, don't worry about anything. Does anybody ever worry about stuff? Okay, the Word says, don't worry about anything. So this is how we're renewing our mind. I'm not supposed to worry about anything. So it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Do it exactly like the Word says. Tell Him what you need, and then thank Him for the answer. So when you're worrying about something, you say, hey, I'm not supposed to worry about this. So I stop and I pray about it and I tell God what I'm worried about and I tell him what I need so I wouldn't wor- what I think I need so I won't worry anymore. And then I thank him that he's taking care of it and I cast that care to him. Look at this. It says, then, then, look at that next verse in 7. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting that it says your heart and your mind? In your heart and your mind. Peace. The world teaches peace as going to Hawaii and being in a one of those things you swing in, hammock, with a coconut cocktail, non-alcoholic, of course, um, and the music playing and the wind blowing and the waves coming. But when, but when that's gone, I mean, that's, a, that's an outward peace. The peace that Jesus lives, is an, it lives, comes from the inside. Peace is in your heart and it's in your mind. And it transcends what you see in the physical. So that's why it's possible that you can be in dire strait. Sis. 
That's why it's possible when you're doing maintenance treatments six times and you've been given a terrible, a, a bad report, but you say, I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. And that's why when I go to Sis's house, she encourages me more than me trying to encourage her. She has a peace which transcends. It transcends what's around you. And this peace comes through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit. There's so much things. It's, it, but I just kept seeing that this stuff is already in you. Peace is already in you. You know something else that's already in you? is power. The Bible says that you shall receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So when the Holy Spirit comes in you, a power comes with you. Philippians chapter 2 says that, that he gives you both the desire and the power. Philippians 2.13, and the power to do what pleases him. The Bible says, not by might, nor by, not by might, not more by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He gives his spirit. He gives his power. Ephesians 3.20 says, exceedingly, abundantly, above all I ask or think, is what he wants to do. According to the power that works in you. Everybody say, in me. There's a power in you. There's a power in you. There's fruit in you. There's a power in you. There's peace in you. There's joy in you. Spring up, oh well. Spring up, oh well. So that's why when you get to verse, when you get to verse 31... And it says, in view of all this, that's why you can say, in view of everything you just read, and then I even went on and taught some more, in view of the Holy Spirit sent here for us. In view of all that, in view of all that, I believe as a church we can say, if God be for us, who can be against us? And I kept hearing the Lord say, you're more than that. You're more than that. If you feel like you're settling for less or settling for seconds or settling or you've given up or you've lost hope, I hear the Lord say you're more than that. I have more than that for you. We know that Romans 8.28 says we know. Everybody say no. We know that God causes Everything to work together for them that love God. Does anybody here love God? Say, I love God. Come on, say, I love God. The Word says that God causes everything to work for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. How many believe you have purpose, you have plan, you have destiny in the Lord? You will come through. You will come through. If God is for you, then who could be against you? The Bible says He didn't even spare His own Son in Romans 8.31, but He gave Him up for all of us. How will we not also along give us everything with Him graciously give us all things? If he gave us all things for salvation, doesn't it stand to reason that he's going to give you all things to help you get through what you need to get through? He doesn't hold it back. And then Romans 8.33 says, who dares to bring in a charge against God's children? 
For it is God who justifies. Don't you let human beings judge you. Don't you let yourself judge you. For it is God who justifies. It is God who shed his blood and said that you are not guilty. And you are in right standing with God. So who can bring a charge against God's children? I say no. Because the word says that God has perfected me Forever, as I'm walking it out and I'm being sanctified, as I'm walking it out, nobody's judging me or condemning me because I'm perfect in Christ Jesus. No one, no one, 834 says no one. Who then can even think about condemning me? Everybody say no one. No one. Christ Jesus died and more than that he was raised to life as the praise team is coming he's at the right hand of the father he's interceding from us there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus amen there's no condemnation and then he goes on he says in 835 he says this will you be overcome by difficult times come on I just in view of everything in Romans 8 Are you going to be overcome with a a tough time? No, I'm not going to be overcome with a tough time. And then he says, will trouble get you? Come on, church, will trouble get you? No, will hardships get you? Has anybody here experienced a hardship one time or another? Is that going to get you or are you going to get up and believe God has given you everything that you need? I believe that with all my heart. Show hardship. Show persecution. I like this one. Or famine. Or famine. Man, I know people that were let off work and didn't know. Do you ever suffer famine? Do you ever have to get into your reserves? Well, is that going to stop you? From the things of God. Is nakedness going to stop you? Is danger going to stop you? You're more than that. I know that we have setbacks in life. But know that your setback is not the end. If you feel a setback in your school. If you feel a setback in your marriage. If you feel a setback in your business or relationship. uh, uh, In any way whatsoever. If you slip back into a familiar sin or a habit. Or sinful desire. And it messes with your mind. It messes with you. If bitterness and unforgiveness and and, and resentment, they try to hold you captive every day and torture you and torture you. If you live with a constant perpetual guilt and fear and shame, know that it is not over. If God be for you, who can be against you, church? I'm telling you, I feel those things because... Romans 8, 37 and 39 says that in all things, we are more than conquerors. Everybody say more than. More than conquerors through Christ who loved him. And then he said, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate me from the love of God that I have found in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it's not about falling that you should concentrate on. It's about getting back up. 
I'm telling you, we need a message in the pulpits of America from preachers that'll say to you, yeah, you messed up, but let me tell you how you can get back up. Come on. Yeah, you messed up, but let me tell you how you can get back up. Church on the Rock is going to be a house that when you walk in here, you're going to lay. You're going to, you may have come in heavy, and you may have come in beat down, but you're going to leave free because this house will always help you get back up. Today, it's not about beating yourself up, but it's about getting back up. Getting back up. I'm telling you, the Scripture says in Proverbs 24, 16, You've got to get this in Proverbs 24, 16. It says, for though the righteous fall. Everybody say righteous. No, the unrighteous are the ones that fall. Unrighteous people fall. People that mess up fall. Unrighteous people. People that don't love God. People that aren't doing good. They fall. No. No, that's not what it says. It says, for though the righteous fall seven times. Doesn't mean that he's now unrighteous because he fell. It doesn't mean that that mistake or that issue or that struggle, that he's now a sinner and he can't be right with God and God's upset with him. Righteousness isn't defined by how many times you fall, but it's defined by letting Jesus help you get back up. That's what defines righteousness. You ever tried to push a beach ball down in the water? Try to put your weight on it? You hold it. What does it do? It springs out and boings back up. Come on, baby. We're beach balls, and it's more than what around our belly. Huh? Come on. We're beach balls. It comes back up. Notice the righteous fall seven times. But when you fall, you don't lose your righteousness because you fall. I really believe, and I think it's on purpose, that the reason it says, though the righteous fall seven times, I think it means because we fall on Monday. (laughs) Because we fall on Tuesday. Because we fall on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and even all day Sunday, we fall. We fall. I think it's on purpose. But you better believe me that I may fall. But baby, I'm telling you, His grace always lifts me up. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Lift your hands to the Lord. And say, I'm coming up. I'm coming up. In view, in view of all of Romans 8. In view of all of Romans 8. Man, I'm justified. I'm sanctified. I've been given the Spirit of Christ inside of me. Uh, I'm not obligated to my sinful flesh. I'm not condemned. Come on. I'm not condemned. The Holy Spirit's with me. He tells me God loves me. He, he, He tells me I'm righteous. He tells me I can overcome the enemy. He fills me with God's love. He fills me with God's power. He writes the Word on my heart and on my mind. He gives me the fuel of the Spirit. I'm telling you, there's victory in the house today for all of God's children.